Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bass. In 1982, I was ordained in downtown Chicago. The service was a big deal. My favorite preacher, Steve Brown, whose godlike voice you hear on the intro to this show, if you listen to it on a podcast or on YouTube, uh, he came and he preached, and lots of my friends were there. My little startup church, which is alive and well and not so little anymore, was hosting the occasion. It had as much formality to it as I can stomach, including what is called the charge to the newly ordained minister, me that was delivered by my favorite philosophy professor who had driven 420 miles to be there, Dr. Tom Gregory. I was humbled and honored by his presence. Do you know what he said? I'll never forget it because it really made me squirm. His opening line was, John, you have beautiful feet. I thought I was going to die. This was a very proper curmudgeon, not given to the type of shocking lines I like to deliver. What was his point? He went on to quote the prophet Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The apostle Paul quotes this in his letter to the Romans, asking how people can believe if they haven't heard. So feet are this wonderful image of good news of Christ being taken from one place to the next. My professor knew of my desire for people to hear the good news of the gospel, particularly those who had heard bad news in the places where good news was to dominate. At Church Hurts and we know that is too often the church. But let's get back to feet. Do you remember when athletic shoes were called tennis shoes or sneakers? The only brand names I remember were PF Flyers and Keds, and the color options were black and white. Now, do you remember the first pair of athletic shoes you had, which weren't canvas? If you aren't old like me, you won't remember that. When we, when what we have on our feet today is simply an established fashion statement, and, and we get a glimpse into that inside athletic fashion shoe world, jump into the basketball court today, and then we're going to take a trip to the Philippines with a man who knows the inside story. <laughs> Welcome shoe dog David Corsi to Church Hurts Hand. It's great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Hey, David, um, everyone here has heard of Converse, but I'm wondering what it was like coming home in 2004 and saying to your wife, honey, I bought Converse and meaning something other than a pair of shoes was Converse really on the auction block. Can tell me about that, won't you? Yeah, no, it's hard to believe because Converse has been around more than a hundred years, but, but, uh, they were on the auction block. Literally people were bidding 
to buy the company. It was not a bank. It was not bankruptcy or it was, it was auction. And, uh, the group that I was associated with, uh, bought it for $98 million. But it was on, I know it's hard for people today to believe it because Converse is like Converse, Vans, Nike, but yeah, auction block. And you kind of, you were part of that team. You were really at the marketing. You were the marketing guy, weren't you? Or what was your deal? Well, we were, me and my friend, Jim Strasser, we were the, the, the executive sales team that was involved in, in, in brought in to build an entire sales team and uh, work with marketing and product to bring the brand back to existence. And so, so now when you say brand, it used to be that we didn't really realize that shoe companies were paying people to, you know, that were saying, Hey, if you have our brand, now we all know the story of, you know, Tiger Woods signing with Nike was a bigger deal than Tiger Woods going pro. But I remember, uh, I remember a story. Yeah. I haven't told you this before, but you know, I knew Tom Clancy back when he was alive. Um, not, I mean, he wasn't my best friend, but I mean, we were, ta- we were talking one time and, and I said, I heard you had uh, been telling like potential writers uh, you had to speak at a seminar of how to get your book sold. And he, he gave this whole seminar. And then at the end he said, well, and it kind of helps when the president's coming out of the white house, going to his helicopter, if somebody asks him, what are you reading? And he says, Oh, I'm reading this book by Tom Clancy by some little press called The Hunt for Red October. That that kind of helps sell books too. You, you have a story yeah. kind of like that. <laughs> you, here you have a shoe, and it's not a story about a big athlete, is it? No, it was it was the brand itself. The Converse Chuck All-Star, which everybody knows today, and they sell about 160 million pairs a year worldwide, was absolutely dead. It was 1999. It was at every pharmacy, the whole bit. And and we had no marketing money. It was all sales-driven. But we did have somebody who was doing some product seeding. And really, when the brand really started to turn, and started to grow was when a star that uh, an up-and-coming uh, rock star came on the, the scene called Avril Lavigne, which you know and I know, but most people probably don't even know back in 2000 when she really started to take off. Oh, yeah. And we sent, her a, we sent her a couple pairs of shoes, and she did her first music video and it was like a two and a half minute converse commercial i mean the the shoes were front and center were the focal point of the entire video and after that video launched the shoes the converse chuck took off again it was absolutely crazy how you know how all the advertising world didn't help but avril lavigne launched our brand and I don't even know if she knows that today. <laughs> well, oh no! If you if you go online and look up Avril Lavigne in Converse, you'll see she has them signed, and I mean, it, there it's a hot item. She, I think, she's well aware that she's associated that. But that particular brand, I remember my kids starting to wear those things, and I was like, really? Yes. I mean, this is so old school. I'm comfortable with that, so I'll go get a pair. Have you worn a pair of those lately, David? 
Oh, I have. They're they're the most un, one of the most uncomfortable shoes that you'll ever wear. I wanted ever. you to say it. I want. There's you no to cushioning. Say there's no cushioning. There's no support. There's no shock absorption. There's no technology. <laughs> but back in the day, if you remember, in the 40s and 50s, it were and 60s, it was the only basketball shoe. Literally. Mm -hmm. 99 to 100 percent of everybody who played basketball wore the converse chuck and it's a terrible shoe yeah and and you got to ride it and the kind of the end of that story for you is that team you were part of that bought that company how long did it take you till you you multiplied that thing 10 times didn't you we you know we we bought it for 98 million and within 29 months it was sold to nike for 305 million Wow. It got all these uh, uh, merger acquisition awards. It got tons of all these awards. And we actually thought that Nike had overpaid. We thought like, ah, oh, we got over on Nike. And today it's a, it's a $1.5 to $2 billion brand. So Nike knew exactly what they were doing. And in our best year ever in the history of Converse, we sold 60 million Chucks and like a, a pair of Chuck all-stars today they sell about 160 million worldwide wow that's crazy yeah. well so you know, it was this crazy is, this is church hurts hands so people wonder what we're doing talking about shoes and 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 your story is so wonderful i wish we had time for all of it but i i want to kind of you grew up in a christian home you know it yes. you know it wasn't a the bad horrible experience that some people talk about you accepted christ at the age of six so this was kind of a real thing in your life but something happened at 16 that rocked your world tell me about that you know at 16 years old i came home from church it was a sunday i'll never forget it and i was excited to tell my mom about I was going to work with vacation Bible school, like be one of the leaders and uh, which my mom read, she ran for years. So I went in to go tell her and I found her uh, dead uh -huh. in our house at 16. She was 49 years old. Yeah. So very traumatic. Wow. I very mean, my traumatic. mom died at three, but you know, I don't remember it. It's 16. Right. You not only remember it, that's like your world is not only rocked. And, and then the next year, you're in a horrible accident and somebody gets killed. Yeah. The next year I was driving to school early and, uh, just driving along and this jogger passed in front of me and, and he wasn't in a crosswalk. He was just running across and, uh, and boom, before I knew it, it was dark before I could see him boom, hit him and he died. It wasn't my fault, but still, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. And he 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 died. And so 17, <laughs> you know, here we go. 16, 17, mm. tough years. And and 18 was worse. Tell me about 18. Because 18 was worse. Well, you're but you're already a basketball star in high school, right? So you're pretty cool. Yeah, I was I was a I was a big fish in a little pond. Let's say that, John. Yeah. Okay. How so, tall are well, you? I'm six three. Six three. And and that you're probably playing center back then, right? I played actually played outside, you know, like oh, like wow. a two or a three position, a okay. wing or forward, yeah. But but then uh, so they're gonna send you off to a Christian school. Um I say they, your dad at this point, but but uh you had a little conflict, didn't you? 
Yeah, we uh, moved to La Mirada. I got a scholarship at Biola University and to play basketball. And my dad got extremely, extremely possessive and protective of uh, me and my two two brothers. You know, it was just it was just like suffocating. And it got to the point, and I don't want to go through the whole story, but it got to the point where it just could not continue. And he, he said, if you don't turn around, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then you need to move out. I said, okay. And so without him knowing, I moved out. And, mm-hmm. uh, and of course he didn't know that I was going to move out. And, uh, but it just, it just couldn't go on. And then basically my dad disowned me. We went to the same church. I came up to him. I said, Dad, how you doing? He says, I don't know you. Who are you? I go, I'm your son, David. He goes, no, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And this went on for, for quite a long time. You know, when a real tragedy hits, and, and I'm careful with the use of the word tragedy because people sometimes, you know, when, when grandma at 90 years old dies, that's not a tragedy. You know, that's natural life. It's going to happen. But when you're 16 years old and your mom dies, that's a tragedy. And when something like that hits a family, the reverberations are huge. The chances of alcoholism, drug abuse, um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all that kind of stuff, the family just starts to kind of disintegrate. And in a lot of ways, your dad being possessive and in a sense protective, you know, that seems kind of normal. His He feels like he has to be mom and dad and you're rebellious teenager right exactly and and it was uh he was not in a a really bad way but he was verbally abusive to all of us you know and threatening us and different things it just couldn't go on and uh it was it was interesting because my brothers hated me for it and four months later my older brother moved in with me and moved out so they understood my dad was like you said it's it's i think it's normal to understand and uh and and six months later, real quick, I went back to his house, and I just wanted him to tell me that he loved me. I and love that's I love I this part of the story, by the way. I, I is, loved it. Yeah. yeah. And I went in the house, and I sat at the kitchen table. I got, Dad, I'm not leaving till you tell me you love me. And he's like, he wouldn't even talk to me. And he's just walking in and out of the house. And I sat there for six, I don't know how long, at least six hours. Mm. And finally, finally, he came in, he broke down crying. And, and it gets really emotional even now talking about it. And he broke down crying and said, son, I love you so much, so much. And, uh, and, and, and then from that day on, my dad and I were so close. We were, that bonded us forever. My dad just passed away almost two years ago, uh, 91. He lived a, he lived a full life, an awesome life. And, uh, but, but that, that day defined our relationship forever. Just, I mean, how many people though, when you talk about that eight hours, how many people are that stubborn and that determined that they're just sitting there and you know, when your dad finally gave in, it was his heart allowed, he was allowed to, he loved you like you wouldn't believe, but he was such a strong, stubborn dude. He wasn't going to tell you (laughs) in eight hours. And you guys had a full life together because of that. I mean, that's a long time ago, right? Long time, long time. I love that. Yeah. And, and it's some of that determination, um, that has played out in your life, but there was another thing. I feel like we have to talk about you played at Biola. Talk about when you decided you were going to change schools and what that was about. 
Yeah, so I redshirted one year. If I don't know if you understand that, you you practice, but you don't play, but you don't use your eligibility. And then the next year I played. I didn't play much. We had a phenomenal team, went to the national tournament. And I just felt like he was bringing in a lot more recruits that next year. And I just didn't feel that his style of play or his coaching match with me. And so, so I, I, I transferred to Vanguard University. And Bill Reynolds, who became a huge mentor for me, his first year coaching, my first year at Vanguard. So, and and, and you know, as you tell stories like that, and so now, so you've gone from one Christian school. I mean, Biola is an amazing Christian school. Yes, and, and then you're going to another one, which at that point was Southern California College, I think. Oh, time, right. Oh, you're the man. I can't yeah. believe you okay. pulled that well, out. No, that's I don't right. know where I I brought yeah. that out. Yes, the, it was. The, and became Vanguard, but and it, so you really, I mean, it sounds like you are just a good Christian boy. And so I'm sure everything went fine from there, right? Well, it did, it did for the first year. And then second year, it did not. I, you know, I, uh, second year, I went to a Christian school, but many of the basketball players on the team were not Christian. So at that time, I'd never drank. I'd never, never done anything uh in that realm never done anything and so uh over time a lot of the players encouraged me let's go let's go to the disco let's go have a beer and so and so that started to happen and that led me down a road of you know girls beer alcohol uh down a road of uh and still you know going to church still going to church but led me down a road of really not living for him. And, and, and what came out of that was at the end of my junior year, really not living for him. And God really telling me, you know, in my mind that I'm not going to bless you. If you don't honor me, I'm not going to honor you. And it got to the point where it got so bad that the coach and I were at, at such a, a contentious relationship about playing time and, and things that are going on that, that, that he had to, uh, to, wait, 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 wait. I want you to tell the dirty side of the story. Okay, okay. What, did you, what did you really do? <laughs> so, so what I did, and we'd been going at it all year uh, about starting, not playing, and, and it kind of meeting after meeting after meeting. And we were at UCSD, and it came to a boiling point where he put me in again. I made one mistake, and he ripped me out of the game with about two minutes to play. And I'd lost. I lost it. I was fed up. And I turned to him in front of a, a gym that was half full. And at the at top of my voice, pretty much ripped him with every cuss word you can imagine in front of everybody. Oh, the, so, so I can imagine the other school here, they're playing this Christian school, right? <laughs> and, and now you're out there swearing like crazy at the coach. At the so, coach. Yeah. So, and, and the result was what? Result was I. He, he said we went back to the locker room and he said, "Turn in your jersey now, get dressed." And we had to drive home on the bus and uh, we'll have a meeting on Monday. And uh, it's really hard to tell you this because I'm, I'm very ashamed of what happened uh, from that. But uh, but from that came reconciliation as well. Mm, but more than reconciliation, right? more than reconciliation so we had that meeting and i was i'm like well he says to me like a father you're off the team but i want you to play for me your senior year 
And I was indignant. No, no way I'm playing for you. I've never played for you again. I'm done. And went out from his office. And then God started to deal with me. And God started to break me down. And I started to realize the life I'd been living. And it wasn't right. And God's not going to honor me. And during the next three months, I found Christ again in a very strong way. And and then I went back to him three months later. I'm like, coach, I'm sorry for what I did. I'd like you to forgive me. And I want to play for you. I want to play for you. And uh, he's like, great. And not only did he tell me you're going to play for you, but then he said, uh, uh, we want you to be our team captain. What? <laughs> you just kicked me off the team. This is the great man that he was. And then at the end of the year, you know, they, you know, I was a very good player, but they also gave me the most inspirational award most inspirational from kicked off the team, the most inspirational. And it was such a, it was such a God thing. It had nothing to do with me. It was such a God thing in my life. And it just really, really uh, built my faith and, and strengthened him. So, and that first Romans eight twenty eight, that's my theme verse for my life. Cause I've been through so much is for all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. That's my, that's my verse. David, one of the, reasons I wanted to have you here is that you're asked to speak a lot, you know, rotary clubs and, you know, all the kind of business things where they want to hear the long story, all the shoe stories. And, you know, I, 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 we started with one and, but you've had a lot of success in the business world, but sometimes people don't get to hear that foundation which for you was stop and start stop and start and and life continued for you you've had a number of dips and ups and that but isn't that the nature of real faith that you have to get through really difficult things in life and remember that god's picture you know is not on your license right right and and for me i feel i feel a little bit you think about king david you know his total lineage of Christ and Jesus came out of that, but he was, he did some bad things. <laughs> you know, he had an affair and set, sent the guy's husband to the front lines to be killed, murdered and adultery, but God still used him because, because he knew he repented. He knew what he had did wrong and he cried out for repentance. And you know what? That is, what is so great about our God, our, our Lord is he's, he forgives us. He forgives us and he forgets. And so now, and for a number of years, a big part of your life has been something called the California Bearcats. Yeah. You know, when I first heard about that, when I went to school, if you, you know, the only way you really played is kind of the path that you did. But California Bearcats is a whole different foundation. Talk to me about that. Yeah, 18 years ago in that the college coach's memory, Bill Reynolds, who we talked about, who brought me back in re reconciliation, he died of lymphoma cancer five years after he retired. And it was, again, a very tragic thing for me. We were very close. He was a, he was a second father to me. And so, so I felt like right there, I'm starting a basketball club in his memory. 
mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And, and so in 2002, 2003 in Solana beach at Santa Fe Christian, we started a, a youth basketball club with a couple teams and, uh, and, and 18 years later, we have 35 teams. It's the longest running club in San Diego and one of the most respected uh, youth basketball clubs in all of California. And, uh, and, it not total nonprofit organization. And uh, it was really, you know, I always tell people, they said, why did you start it? And I go, I, I started to impact one life. One. They go, Dave, that's stupid. You've impacted thousand lives. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but that's not why it was started. It was impact one life like coach Bill Reynolds at Vanguard university impact my life forever. And, and that, you know, I, I was at a seminar a few years ago and the man was talking about why so many strategies don't work and how, why so many purpose statements are ineffective and not, and it just comes down to, so what are you going to do? You know, and for you, what am I going to do? Okay. I'm willing to touch one. Forget about, I'm going to reach orange County for whatever. I'm going to reach the world. I'm going to reach, but if you can do one, and, and I think if all of our listeners do worried about not doing the big successful things, you know, not buying Converse in their lifetime, um, <laughs> if, if you can touch somebody, you know, yes. just one person today who's hurting that needs a phone call, um, it matters. But for you, um, just give me a little bit more on the club system because a lot of people don't get really. So what's a club system? What are the age of the kids? Who's part of it? That kind of thing. It's, it goes from first grade through high school. So we have our little cats program. We start them off development program. And then all the way through, through high school, we have kids now going to division one, division two, division three, NAIA getting scholarships, which is always a dream. And so all our our entire handbook is built around John Wooden's principles. Um, you know, and it's built around, it's built around Bill Reynolds principles. This guy, this guy, I love this guy right here. And I has, I have all his books. And so it was built around that. And it was built around Bill Reynolds, my coach in college, all the principles, faith-based organization. And, and we just put it all in the handbook and said, okay, God use it. We anointed the gym with oil, every tryout and said, Lord, bring them in. Uh, We've never advertised. It's totally word of mouth. And so, you know, I, we just had a tryout. And I prayed at the end and I had a, a parent come up to me crying. She goes, I can't believe you had the guts to pray at a tryout, you know, a tryout with 20 people. I don't even know. And I go, we've been praying since day one at every tryout, every practice, every prayer meeting. And so, and we will continue to, so it's all based on biblical John Wooden principles. And lives. So many lives have been touched, but you decided now that you're get, you're not as old as me, but you're getting there, and you decided that you really wanted to have another impact that just like really it just doesn't make any sense. You you live in a nice house in the most beautiful place in the world in Southern California, and you decided that you're going to pick up and go somewhere, and this Bearcats are going to go with you. What what's that about? You know, two years ago. Um, uh, I had a dream. I've never had a vision before a dream. Maybe you've had a lot of them, but I'd never had a dream where God came to me. And it was plain as day to me that it was God coming to me. And he goes, Hey, I want you to do the same thing you did with the California Bearcats overseas. And I'm like, I 
no and i know in the corporate world and all this stuff and i'm like i don't know what that means and but okay lord and it's like if god tells you to go and you're honoring him you gotta go you gotta go if god says go go you know whatever that is and so so i kept so i heard a preacher say if you want to find out whether it's right or you should be doing it, start to ask a lot of people hey i had this dream what do you think hey, i had this dream what do you think validate and everybody's like go follow it god's talking to you and so so i didn't really understand where but i knew that i loved asia because i spent a lot of time there and I spent, I've been to the Philippines like 25 times and I love the Filipino people and, and, and embraced them. And, and, and so I really felt that God was saying, I want you to go to the Philippines. And, and that was before the pandemic. And I was going to wait about two more years until I retired. You know, I have all these plans, but God's plans are different. Right. And so, right. and so uh, when the pandemic hit, God said, nah, you're not getting another corporate job. You're going. And so we have been since March have been following that plan and uh, developing and, you know, uh, doing YouTube, YouTube things to build awareness, YouTube videos. And so we're just believing that Christ is, is leading us there. You know, 49% unemployment in the Philippines, 90% down 90% tourism. There's people that are going to need, they're going to need love, joy, happiness, confidence, and a hope and a vision for the future. And so we're just being servants of God, and we're going to go do that. You know, there's going to be people who want to going to want to be part of that, and and we don't have all the details that you gave me in terms of how to do that. But the bottom line, if they go onto a website and just hit the contact button, uh, you'll get back to them in terms of how to give and that. What's the best website? The best website is CaliforniaBearCats.com. And again, as you said, John, go to the contact button and then you'll see a, a you'll also see a payment, uh, uh, a payment button and you just click that and you can give and just in the box, put Philippine Bearcats when the, in the memo section, or you can contact me at California Philippines Bearcats at gmail.com. And I can send out, I can send out the sheet that I sent to you. So. Well, we, we so appreciate it and just uh, prayers with you. You've been so vulnerable, David. David, I appreciate that. Um, it's an exciting thing that you're doing, and you've, and you've had, a, had an interesting past. Uh, I really am looking forward to talking to you when you get to the Philippines. We can still get you here and, uh, and get to hear how it's going. I just want to mention, because I, I really respect it, the degree that everything you raise, none of it goes for your own support. I mean, it's so cool. You're able to do that. Um, here at church or stand, you know, we're, I'm largely supported by nonprofit contributions. So the work I do at standing stone and, and, and I need that. And, but it's, they got to feel good on your part to say, you know what? Um, you're taking care of yourself in a way you're asking for money for these kids to be touched. And, um, there's we people want to be part of that. And thank you. Yeah, 100%, 100% of everything give, given gives totally to the efforts there with the club and to the Philippines. God's blessed me with retirement income and investments, so I don't need it. And that makes it, for me, kind of makes it cool. And everybody's different, but for me, that makes it cool. That's wonderful. Let me just say this before we close, David. An outsider may look at David Corsi and 
see the successful entrepreneur, marketing leader, former college basketball star, and leader to countless kids. None of that would be wrong. It just wouldn't be the whole story. And at Church Hurts and, we remember the and part of life. And for David, the and is a big part of the story. Some of it includes sad tales from his teenage years, which are more formative than he could have imagined at the time. A mom who was gone far too soon, an accident that just wasn't fair. Coach was willing to be more than a coach and to care more about the boy than the basketball. I love hearing his stories about running around in the upper echelons of the athletic shoe world. And I also like hearing his honesty about his ego, his failings, his disappointments, and his fears. But then we get back to the feet his shoes cover. David is choosing to be that messenger talked about in the Bible whose feet are taking a message to the other side of the world. The extreme contrast, Southern California, Philippines. It's hard to overstate. He isn't asking support, not for himself or his expenses, but he is asking for support for kids who they're going to reach. As you think of David in his next step of life, remember David's God. David is one who has a lot going, um, to, and he's going to those who don't have a lot. Why? Because David has a God that is like that. From heaven to earth with a message that said, I want to be closer with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. You can stop fighting me. I love you. God said, I love you. He did. Really? Yep. And it's worth a thought. Her church hurts and this is John Bash. Enjoy God today. Won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?